Amen. You may be seated. Good to see all of you this morning. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew again, chapter 6, verse 9, as we are in our series on prayer. And we've been learning about prayer through studying the significant prayers in the Bible. And last week we actually started looking at the Lord's Prayer here in Matthew chapter 6. And I, I was led by the Lord to just talk about the name of God and the significance of the name of God from this prayer last week where Jesus taught us not what to pray but how to pray when he said, Pray this way, our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. And we talked about what does it mean to honor the name of God. And we saw last week that that what it really means is to give God our best, to offer God our very best. Nothing less than our best is truly honoring and hallowing the name of God. Throughout our series on prayer also, we we have discovered that One of the primary purposes of prayer in our life is to reorient our lives, to realign our lives with God, to reprioritize our lives over and over again. It's God's way of sort of bringing us into his presence and, and us aligning ourselves with him, being on the same page as God. And so out of this model prayer that Jesus gave his followers... Again, how to pray, not necessarily what to pray. We we see two primary things. We, We see, first of all, Jesus teaching us about focus, where our focus should be. And you'll notice in the prayer that really Jesus teaching us our focus should be on God and on others. Even though, you know, it's it's hard for us to get, you know, our focus off of ourselves. And especially living in the day and age in which we live and the culture in which we live where there's so much narcissism and so much self-centeredness and so much about us, you know, that we even have something nowadays called a selfie as if we need more self-attention. That God is saying, when you come into my presence and pray, I want your focus to be realigned to my name, my kingdom, And my will. And and I want you then to begin to also focus on the fact that as you're praying this prayer, that you are part of a much larger community. Notice Jesus isn't teaching us to pray, My Father in heaven, may your name be honored. Notice how often in this prayer of Jesus, he does not use any personal pronouns as my or I, and it's all about our or us. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us of our debts as we ourselves have forgiven others. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. See, this whole prayer isn't teaching us that it should be about us. It's actually not only reminding us that our focus should be God, but it's about the fact that our our focus should be on others as well, and that it's all about fellowship. This whole prayer 
is teaching us about the importance of fellowship. Fellowship with God, and then out of our proper fellowship with God, fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. That's why when we come into God's presence, and we truly pray as Jesus taught us to pray, there will be two aspects of Realignment of fellowship, always. We will be realigning ourselves in fellowship with God, hopefully, and getting on the same page with Him. But also out of that, we will be realizing the importance that God places on our fellowship with our fellow believers. And we will be making sure that we are realigning ourselves with our brothers and sisters in Christ. You see. That's what this whole prayer is about. See, that's the way God designed it. And so this whole prayer, as well as the the whole teaching of Scripture, really cuts down the whole notion of individualism and isolationism, of isolating ourselves from each other and not being part of a fellowship and not connecting with each other and building relationships and friendships with each other. Even in this prayer, Jesus is saying, that's not the way of God. The way of God is, even as you pray, don't pray my Father, pray our Father. When you pray, pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Forgive us of our debts. And so, if you take nothing else away from the message today, I hope that every time you think about the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, and every time you read this prayer, and every time you study this prayer, that these will jump off the page at you more than they ever have before. The R's and the us's. And that you'll see that one of the things that Jesus was trying to remind us of is we are part of something greater and bigger than ourselves. We are part of a community. This is what God's will was. This is what God desires. So it even ties back into what Jesus prayed earlier and taught us to pray. Is if I'm truly praying for God's kingdom to come. That's not just referring to God's future millennial kingdom that one day will happen on this earth when Jesus Christ comes to rule and reign. But that can be practically uh, borne out in each of our lives as Christians by letting Jesus reign and rule in my life right now. See, if I'm praying, God, I want your kingdom to come then that doesn't just mean, God, I'm praying for you to intervene in a dramatic way, which he will do one day in human history, and you will set up your kingdom. But God, that's also a reminder that even today, this very day, if I'm talking about your kingdom, that simply means the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, then God, you come and rule and reign in my life today. And let me stop living my life the way I want to, and let me start turning it over to you and doing what you want. Making it about your name and your kingdom and then, oh, and then your will. Let it not be about what I want, God, but about what you want. And also coming to the place where all of us accept God's will as best. 
That's really what Jesus is saying here. If we're going to pray, God, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, that's not just talking about future where it will be. That's talking to us who, again, know God as our father and already have a relationship with him that we are seeking to live out and flesh out the fact that God, even today, may I accept your will as the best way, as the best will, not my will, but your will. So it's all about fellowship. It's all about learning that I desire fellowship with God. And I think that's why Jesus even starts off with our Father. The relationship has already been established. And so I want you to be reminded of that today too. This isn't about, this is about somebody who already has a relationship. That's why he uses the term Father, which was a very odd term, especially for the Jews to use about God. They would never use that in relationship to God. I'm not going to call God my Father. To them, that was too presumptuous because, again, they were all about revering and respecting the name of God. But what Jesus was trying to teach is, yes, I want you to hallow my name. I want you to honor my name. I want you to live in respect and reverence for my name. But I also want you to understand you have a privileged relationship now with the Father through me. And because of that, you can call him Abba Father. And you can come to him in this intimate fellowship and relationship that you're building with him, especially through your prayer life. Now, as you and I come to God in prayer and truly seek to fellowship with him again, then what's going to happen is God is going to, through my time in prayer, reorient, realign reestablish priorities in my life so that, again, you and I are on the same page with him. And again, because of the language of this prayer, Jesus isn't just saying, I want that to be true individually. He's saying, I want that to be true corporately in a body of believers. And see, that's where we really then, if we If we think about it, that's where you and I as believers really magnify who God is. And that's really how we witness and testify to others who God is. Not by us individually being on the same page with God and in fellowship with Him. It's about us all being in fellowship with God. And therefore, then, that's the only way you and I are going to be on the same page with each other. And that's what tells the world what's going on here. How can all these individuals, who obviously would have their own agendas and their own purposes and their own priorities, how is it that all these individuals can come into the body of Christ and somehow be in fellowship with each other? And all of them have one mind... And all be willing to move in the same direction. How do we explain that other than God? And when believers aren't in fellowship with each other, we're going to talk about what does that really mean? Because we use that word a lot. And in Christian circles, most of the time it's been reduced to talking about meals we have with each other. 
it's a fellowship meal, it's, it's a potluck. Well, that's, that's a small part of it, but that's just scratching the surface as to what the Greek word koinonia means. And by the way, can I say this? When God talks about koinonia fellowship that you and I share as brothers and sisters in Christ, it is deeper and richer than any kind of of connection and communion and bond that we can have with anyone else on earth. And yet we live in a world, even with Christians, where they have stronger bonds and things like sororities and fraternities and things like their colleges and universities that bind them together. Or whether it's even ethnic and national, you know, pride that binds people together. Sports teams and all of that. You see how human beings come together and they put aside all the things that might, you know, divide them and all the differences they have. And they come together under one banner. You see it all the time in the world. You know. Because they can be, they they might disagree over here, but they can be unified for just a little while because they're all part of this. And God is trying to get, God bless us to see that our relationship with each other, our bond in Christ, our fellowship through Christ is deeper than richer than anything the world could ever give us. And yet many times that's the fellowship that we neglect We have more fellowship, if you will. More where we're rallying together and moving as one together over worldly, earthly, temporal things than we ever can get Christians to come together and be on the same page for eternal things. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. That's why he's saying, when you pray, don't pray my Father. Pray our Father. Don't pray, give me my daily bread. Give us our daily bread. Don't pray, forgive me of my debts. Pray, forgive us our debts. Pray, lead us not into temptation and deliver us. Because God wants to see his people. Again, only under him. The the only way this can happen is if we're in fellowship with God. But when you and I are in fellowship with God, then he can take a whole group of individual Christians and he can get us all on the same page, moving in the same direction toward a common eternal goals. In fact, can I say, that's really why God is going to open up the opportunity for us to, you know, go to that next phase, if you will, of our existence and and have this property and eventually build our own church and stuff. It's not to God about buildings and land and all that. He could care less about that. What he wants to see is us to continue to grow together and to do this together as one unified That's what God wants to see his people engaged in all the time. Not you going in this direction and me going in this direction and all of us sort of pulling against each other and competing with each other, but all of us on the same page with God and therefore in fellowship and on the same page with each other. And I'll say this, and some of you, you know, I'm going to anger some people today here and and even people who, who listen to this message eventually, but I say it because it's biblical. 
And that is that if you and I aren't in fellowship with each other, then we are not in fellowship with God. Because God teaches in His Word. If I am on the same page with God, if I am in fellowship with Him, then I will be seeking to be in fellowship with my brothers and sisters, and I will be in fellowship with them. There's no such thing in the Bible as Christians who are in fellowship with God and out of fellowship with their spiritual family, their fellow believers. You can't find an example of that in the Word of God. Which is why can I say in this prayer, Matthew, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, spends a lot of time on forgiveness. (laughs) It's why he says, when we pray... Let's be reminded about our own forgiveness so that we are more willing to forgive others. And part of what God does when we come before Him in His presence and pray is to humble us and realize and begin to realize the enormity of our sin that He has forgiven and released us from our debt to Him. That our sin caused. And he's saying, if you appreciate being forgiven at all, then you will more readily and willingly forgive your brothers and sisters. Because there's nothing that is going to drive wedges and division and strife and all of that into a body of believers to where we will not be in fellowship with each other and be able to be on the same page and continuing to move in the same direction is if we are not willing to forgive each other And put the hurts and offenses that others have done to us behind us and give it to God. Now again, please understand, there's a whole separate thing here about, you know, restoring a relationship and rebuilding trust. That's not what we're talking about here. As many of you already know, when the Bible commands us as Christians to forgive one another, it's not really about the other person. It's more about us. Because what happens to Christians who don't forgive, who've been forgiven? We end up then getting a very bitter, hatred, hateful attitude towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that fellowship is broken. So it's not really about the other person. It doesn't mean you need to treat them as if nothing's ever happened. It doesn't mean that you and I don't need to go through a process of having them earn trust back. But that's a whole separate issue. Forgiveness happens because God tells us to do it because he did it for us. In fact, notice, God sort of comments on the whole thing of forgiveness. In verse 14 and 15, when he says, if you forgive others of their sins, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your father will not forgive you your sins. (laughs) Now, again, don't go to the place of, does that mean I'm not forgiven? No. Again, when we study the Bible, 
When we seek interpretation, when we seek application, we must not only interpret it correctly, we must apply it correctly out of the context that we have it in. And the context here is not talking about relationship. The relationship has already been established. That's why Jesus can tell us at the very beginning. You tell God he's your father. You approach him that way. That The relationship's already there. And there's nothing in the prayer where Jesus says the relationship is no more. He's talking here about maintaining fellowship. And so what Jesus is teaching through Matthew is this. If you and I as a Christian fail to forgive others of the things they've done to us, then guess what? Our fellowship, not our relationship, our fellowship with God is disrupted. Because God is going to say, you're not going to be on the same page with me if I have forgiven you of all your sin, of all time. And somehow now you're going to hold what this person did against them and you're not going to forgive them. Sorry, we can't be in we can't be in fellowship. The fellowship is disrupted. The fellowship is broken. It's why Jesus taught, you know, in this very same gospel, when we as Christians come to worship God, if we remember that, that there's something between us and a brother and sister in Christ, what does Jesus say to do? Leave your gift at the altar. It's more important that you be reconciled to your brother or sister in Christ than come and worship me. Because from God's perspective, I'm not going to accept your worship. As he did last week, talking about the inferior sacrifices in Malachi. Your worship will not be pleasing to me because I can't be on the same page with you if you're holding something against someone else. No, it doesn't work that way. And can I say, that's why it's really sort of scary and sobering how many Christians could actually be out of fellowship with God on a pretty consistent, regular basis because they're really out of step and out of fellowship with their brothers and sisters in Christ. As we move forward as a church in our history, we have got to continue to maintain the unity and the camaraderie and the esprit de corps and that bond that only you and I share in Christ and move in these years ahead just as we've moved the first five years as one. That's fellowship. Because the word koinonia means partnership. It, it, it pictures individuals locking arms with each other and saying, yes, we all agree that's the direction we need to go and we all move as one. That's why it's so dangerous, if you will, and divisive when people come into a church, any church, and begin to try to push their own agendas and not be willing to submit under the lordship of Christ and be in fellowship with Him. Because by, by trying to push their own purposes and agendas, they're not only disrupting fellowship with their brothers and sisters in Christ, but they're also showing they're really out of fellowship with God. 
Because God's not going to take one Christian in the body in one direction and take the other Christian in the body the other direction and opposite each other. What God is going to do is work on getting everybody on the same page. That's why when you read the New Testament, you come across multiple times in Paul's letters especially where he's encouraging local churches, be of the same mind, be of one mind. In fact, you can leave Matthew Go over to the book of Ephesians real quick to Ephesians chapter four. You see Paul emphasizing this. In fact, I'm going to begin in chapter four, verse one, actually, because even here he talks about being in fellowship with each other and unity with each other. And how do we make that all happen? By again, remembering the bond that we have with one another and how God wants us to be in fellowship with him so that we can be in fellowship with each other. So we can be in partnership with him and so we can be in partnership with each other. And that's what really makes such a dramatic testimony and witness to the world. Not when Christians come together in local churches and they're all doing their own thing. That's what the world does. The world works that way. God says, I want my people to be different. I want my people to be distinct. I want all of you who are individuals to be able to come together and be in such fellowship with me that you can be, even as individuals, in fellowship and partnership with each other. That you're going to be able to lock arms with each other and all move in the same direction. So notice, Paul says in Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you've been called. He's talking to a local church here now. A church just like the Oasis. And here's what he says. With all humility and gentleness. With patience. Bearing with one another in love. Making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why? Notice, because there's only one body and one Spirit, just as two you were called to the one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in us all. Paul's saying, Church at Ephesus, do you not see the oneness that God has created? Yes, we're all distinct individuals. And we all have unique gifts and abilities and talents and all of that. Absolutely. There is diversity in the body of Christ. And we celebrate diversity. I don't want you to be me. You don't want to be me. I probably don't want to be you either. But God says, but here's why I created the church, the ecclesia. I created the church to bring glory to me, not to you, to me. And the way we as the church bring glory to God is when all of us as this diverse group of people can come together as one and fellowship with each other because we're in fellowship with God and move as one. And can I say this? When you find that, cherish it. Treasure it. It is precious. 
And I don't know how many of you talk to your fellow Christians in different churches and all of that, but can I tell you, it's not happening out there too often anymore. That's what makes what God has begun to do here, in my mind even, so special. Because folks, I've been in church since I was a baby. And I've been a pastor for over 30 years. And what is here is not something we should take for granted. You'd be amazed, and I'll start here, just to give you some practical examples. You'd be amazed that in the last three to four years, the absolute unity with which your elders work together. Every night after an elder meeting, I'm calling my wife saying, I'm on my way home. How'd it go? How was the meeting? Oh my goodness. Those guys are amazing. We never have a harsh word. We never raise our voices at each other. We never have sharp disagreements. And can I tell you, in church life, you don't find that. You hear about, you know, church board meetings and elder meetings that go on till midnight and they're all, you know, fighting and punching each other and yelling at each other and, and all this strife and turmoil and division. Folks, we don't have that here at the leadership level. And I pray that that would continue. And then I thought, think about our staff from Nicole to Crystal to Chad. I mean, We have never as a staff, unlike, again, a lot of other church staffs that are always like fighting and bickering and backstabbing each other and you hear about it, never happened here. Always on the same page, moving in the same direction. That's why I thank God for our leadership. Our ministry leaders, for the most part, it's always been that way too. And the reason I share this is, first of all, I'm so thankful for the leaders and the people that God is bringing here. But what I'm saying also is, folks, this isn't something special, even though it looks like something special in our world. This is the way God meant for it always to be. We shouldn't get, you know, pat ourselves up. Yeah, look at us. Look at how we're so unified and everything. Because guess what? We're just doing what God said should always be done amongst believers in a local church. That, that should always be the case. That's nothing special. Oh, I got a couple minutes. Let me go back. You know me, I'd start shaking if I quit a little early, huh? Just real quick, Matthew chapter 6, and then I want to take you to 1 John for just a moment. I want you to see this, though. As we're praying, the, you know, how to pray. In verse 11, when Jesus teaches us to give us today our daily bread, he's simply saying, as a group, look to God in dependence and reliance upon him. Teach each other, raise each other to that level. Don't... don't Don't allow anybody in the body to start living independently of me. All of you realize that you can 
positively impact each other that as you all look to me for what you really need, then you will encourage everyone in the body to be looking to me. To live in dependence and reliance on me. Again, for what we need. Not our greed, but for what we need for that day. And some people have said, well, I, I, I just, look, I'm healthy. I go out. I work. I earn my own living. I make my own way in this world. I don't need to look to God every day. Can I tell you, you're a fool from God's perspective. Because even the health and your little heart continuing to beat so that you can go out there and earn your living is because God's given you that. You and I wouldn't even have breath to breathe if God didn't want us to. We are dependent and relying on God, whether you realize it or not. And God is saying, teach my people as a group to live in dependence and reliance upon me. And then when he says... And lead us not into temptation. It's not that God tempts us. That's unbiblical. This word, though, is also used in this way in the Bible. And this is the way Jesus uses it here. It speaks about putting us in a position that we're not ready for. And so what Jesus is simply saying is, as again, a group, teach each other to, to seek God in this way. God, don't take us somewhere that we're not ready to go yet. That we're not prepared yet for. Which in a sense, that's what I think God's been doing this whole time of waiting on him to open up the land. And all of that is, we might have thought we were ready and prepared. But somehow God said, no, no, a little bit more work needs to be done here at Basha before you get to that next step. And that's what God, that's the way God wants us to live. In a sense, what Jesus is teaching is live by God's timing, not my own. Because I might think I'm ready. But God knows whether we're really ready for that or not. I mean, think of Peter. Peter thought he was ready. He says to Jesus, Jesus, I'll never deny you. I'm ready, God. And Jesus looks at him and says, oh, Peter, you're not as ready as you think. Because as human beings, even Christians, even followers of Jesus, we think we're stronger than we really are. Well, Jesus is saying, so, so don't, don't yeah, presume how strong you really are. You ask God, you, you live by God's timetable. You, you ask God, even as a group and as individuals, God, don't take me somewhere that I'm not ready for yet, that I'm not prepared for yet. Let me look to you, depend upon you. And then it says, deliver us from the evil one. I love this. The word deliver simply means to draw to oneself or bring us to God. So Jesus is saying simply, as a group, and what a, in a sense, this is sort of worshipful, isn't it? This is, what, this is what the worship team tries to do. This is what we all try to do. It's bring everyone to God. Draw us to you, God. And keep us Far, far away from the evil one. May he be at a great distance. Because the closer we get to God, then the further away we're going to be from the devil. And so in a sense, it again talks about fellowship. Get me close to you, God, and keep me close to you. And keep me far away from the one that's trying to pull me away from you. And out of fellowship with you. With that, one more verse. Turn to the book of 1 John. Not the Gospel of John, but the first letter of John towards the end of the New Testament. 1 
And I want to see even how the Apostle John ties our fellowship with God up in a knot with our fellowship for one another. In fact, if you want to read the book of 1 John, that's what the whole book's about. Fellowship with God means fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. You can't have one without the other. If there's one book you could read where you would get the distinct and clear picture that God is saying to us, I can as a Christian be in fellowship with God and out of fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. That, that can't, that's not biblical. If I'm in fellowship with God, I will be in fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. So notice what John says. I'm going to just read verse 3. That's really the only verse that I need to read this morning. John says, what we have seen and heard, we announce to you, don't miss this, so that you too may have fellowship, the words koinonia, with us. So John is saying, I'm writing these things to you because God wants us to have fellowship with each other. But then notice, he goes on to say, and indeed, our fellowship, our partnership is also with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And then don't miss this, though. One more verse. Thus we are writing these things to you so that your, no, our joy may be complete. Don't miss this. John now is linking our joy with our fellowship. So you know one way that you and I know whether we are in fellowship with God and with each other? Where's our joy? When you and I aren't in fellowship with God and we're not in fellowship with each other, guess what we're not going to have in our life? Joy. But you show me a Christian who's in fellowship with God and in fellowship and partnership with their fellow believers and I will show you a Christian who's just radiating joy in their life. We lose our joy when we're out of fellowship. We regain our joy, and our joy is restored by God when we are in fellowship. When you look at the prayer of the Lord in Matthew 6, when you remember this prayer, if you don't remember anything else, may those words of our and us just jump out to you like they never have before. Jesus did not teach his followers to pray, my Father in heaven, may your name be honored. It is our Father in heaven. It is give us this day our daily bread. It is forgive us our debts as we ourselves forgive those indebted to us. It is, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. May we live in fellowship with God and in fellowship with one another. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this Lord's Prayer. This model prayer of what Lord, should be the priorities of devoted followers of yours.
who are seeking God to be in fellowship with you and in fellowship with their fellow believers. May we see today, God, how important it is to you that your people come together even from such great diversity and realize that we have a bond through and in Jesus Christ with one another that is deeper and richer than any bond that any other human being could ever have with one another. And that that is precious. That is of great value. And that fellowship, God, that you call us to and you created for us is to be there so that we, as one body and as one mind, move in one direction. Not to magnify and glorify ourselves, but to show the world and even other groups of believers who you are and what you can do in the life of even a group, a community of believers who are totally in fellowship with you. Because the only explanation is not anything of earth, but only of our Father in heaven. God, you are great. Your name is great. And you will be magnified amongst the nations of this world. May that magnification of you, God, not wait till you come back and establish your kingdom, but may even this little church here in the East Valley of Phoenix, in Chandler, Arizona. Lord, may this little community of believers, may we magnify you by being in fellowship with you and in fellowship with one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.